0: A lot of good men have done a lot of evil to PIA. Uh, so, so, I mean, I, if, if you want to really test the evil that the good men do in Pakistan, PIA is a good example because when, you know, I managed it for about a year, I couldn't believe myself that people who have such a good public image uh, would call you up and ask you to do something which was patently wrong.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Pakistonomy. The Pakistan International Airlines has found itself in the news yet again, starting with the tragic crash of the flight 8303 in Karachi. Since then, issues about fake pilots, the sale of the Roosevelt Hotel owned by the PIA in New York, and systemic issues plaguing the airline have been the talk of town. To talk about the reasons for PIA's decline and how the airline could be reformed and restructured, I have with me, Dr. Musharraf Rasul Sian Saab. Dr. Sian Saab is the former CEO of the PIA and is no stranger to both the internal and external issues that plague the airline. He also has a PhD in economics. Mushar Saab, welcome to Pakistanami.
0: Thank you very much. Plenty. So
1: Pakistanis, Pakistanis have this love-hate relationship with the PIA. We often see both in mainstream media and on social media and in dining room conversations, this criticism about the airline. And and what's happened to it. But there's also this view about how good it used to be. Um, But at the same time, when there's talk about privatizing or restructuring the airline, um, Pakistanis are at the same time up in arms and outside institutions like the Supreme Court. And you're no stranger to this also intervene in how the airline is run or uh, who runs it and what the reform should look like. Um, So, we've been hearing a lot about what's wrong with the PIA, everything from unions and hiring in the airline to its assets. Um, Start by telling us a bit about, in your view, what the major issues are that have caused the airline's
0: decline. Um, Of course, a number of issues, but uh, I, I think what comes immediately to mind are a few. One of them is that PIA, over a period of time, failed to modernize. Um, it didn't adopt systems as the aviation industry was uh, changing very rapidly. I would say that in many ways, the airline was stuck in the past. And uh, that ultimately caught up and, uh, you know, the services declined, the management system started failing. And over a period of time, then, you know, um, it, it became a... Uh, it came into a very difficult situation. So that's, I think, the top reason for the decline. The second reason is that uh, the government uh, decision-making is such that there is a lot of interference in the affairs of PIA from people who do not bear the responsibility of running or managing the airline. And so if you have so many, like, uh, backseat pilots were trying to steer the airline in a certain direction, but do not bear any responsibility for that. They can come into play just to seek media attention. Um, you know, Maybe a few sound bites uh, and then then they're gone. But the effects of their uh, irresponsible, I would say even cavalier decisions and, uh, and interference, they, they stay with the airline. So that, that's the second reason. The third reason is that it's actually, uh, I think, a very Pakistani case of the tragedy of commons. A number of people over a period of time uh, took decisions which uh, were not thought through. And uh, while taking those decisions, they, I think, discounted the effects on, on a system, uh, on a very complex system, which has to be managed in a, in a very, uh, you know, properly calibrated manner, which, which would be a modern airline. So those decisions over a period of time caught up. So the examples would be, did you need to induct a certain type of an aircraft in 2004 or five? Or you when you are replacing aircrafts or inducting another uh, type of aircraft to your fleet, what aircraft should those have been? Whether you should have in, uh, invested in your uh, simulators and pilot trainings or not? Uh, what sort of uh, human resource management systems did you need to have? Uh, what sort of contracts did you need to make for your, um, let's say, a flight kitchen or, or for your uh, engine overalls or your company support programs? All of those, I think, over a period of time, while people were making those decisions, might not have seemed to be uh, significant. But the combined effect of all those decisions ultimately uh, became a perfect storm. And that's what I think uh, started hurting the airlines in the past, like 10 years or so. But you can track back those decisions to many, many years in the past. And finally, I would say that uh, unions and politics, they have also played a role in in the decline. Uh, Because if you want to compete in the aviation industry today, you need to provide uh, your customers with the best possible services. You need to compete with uh, uh, carriers in the Gulf and from elsewhere. And the type of services uh, that they provide, they would be measured on timeliness, on uh, predictability, on high quality. And you cannot provide those services when you have, uh, you know, 10 different unions pulling the airline in different directions. And then politics and Pakistan's legal system um, playing its ugly self into, you know, complicating those issues. So I think combined all these together uh, would be the top issues in my mind. But of course, there are many, many more.
1: So that's a great overview. And I just want to quickly for the listeners who actually may be tuning in about Pakistan Airlines on the mainstream media or on social media, but may not be familiar with it, the airline made revenues of about close to a billion dollars in 2019. Um, but its total loss for the year was about 357 uh, or 358 million dollars. Um, and that's been the story, right? In terms of losses, it employs about 11,000 people. And I raised these figures because of your point about an airline being modern and being able to both be strategic in terms of the aircraft it has and how does it fly routes and what does it plan for, um, but also being nimble in terms of its contracts, et cetera, when it needs to be so that it doesn't have these profound losses year in, year out when the market may shift. Let's say, for example, the price of fuel has gone up or certain routes are unfeasible and you cannot have as a, as a modern airline, these backseat pilots that you, uh, that you talk about, because if you're making these losses, the CEO or the management of that company um, has to be nimble. One of the things that struck me, and I'm curious to get your view on this, uh, when I was looking at the numbers, was that it, it employs about 11,723, pe- 11,009 people, according to the report that I have here in at the end of 2019. But during the 2018-2019 period, when employees decline. The number of executives went from three hundred and five to five hundred and one, um, and I'm just curious to get your view. Is is the PIA, based on your experience, and I'm no airline expert, but it was curious to me, um, a top-heavy organization, um, and often that is the allegation made, right? That politically, a lot of people were recruited who actually don't add a lot of value um, to the company, but actually. Um, are responsible for it being not as modern or as nimble as it should be. So how strong or how valid is this assertion that the PIA is a bloated organization with a lot of executives, a lot of employees that frankly should not be there? Uh,
0: So again, I I think a a much more nuanced understanding would help. One thing is that uh, as, uh, as an industry player, Uh, PIA is vertically um, organized, where where, where, a number of, uh, let's say, businesses that the airline should have the option of not performing itself are performed by the airline. For example, flight kitchen, ground services, uh, many other functions that uh, other airlines would have other companies perform, and they would just contract them to perform those functions. PIA does much of this in-house, and that's why the number of employees is much bigger. And you cannot compare uh, without paying attention to this dimension, you cannot compare PIA with another airline. That's one. Now it's not about the number, but it's the type of people and how they are managed, which is the major problem of the airline. Uh, if let's say you have a large number of people, but they have skill sets that do not match with the airline and your hr systems do not provide the employees opportunities to upgrade their skills and keep modernizing them as the airline requirements change then of course those employees will uh, be you know in a static situation and their skill sets will be outdated over time uh, so it's not the number it's again you know how dynamic the airline is in uh, Upgrading skill sets and even changing skill sets even hiring from the market It's pretty much run and managed as a bureaucracy with a lot of uh, uh, Interference from the legal systems uh, there are uh, a large number of uh, Stay orders that do not allow the management take very basic decisions on discipline on employee management on incentives and and uh, They've kind of created a system where you cannot run any public sector organization or a private sector organization because there is a very little room that the management can really incentivize employees or even, uh, let's say, incentivize employees who, who want to perform better, who are performing better. So the race to the bottom basically uh, leads to a median employee who is not incentivized, who's not motivated. Choose, uh, has absolutely very little incentive to invest in their skills and uh, match up to the requirements of the uh, of the airline. So with, with such a uh, broken HR system, uh, the real problem is whether uh, the airline has the type of skill sets that a modern airline would need to compete in the aviation industry. It's not necessarily the numbers. Uh, these other things, whether it is top-heavy, whether there are more executives than there should be, I mean, these are, I think, uh, uh, those emotive statements that are raised more as uh, partisan politics than anything else. I mean, if, uh, if you require more executives, then you should have more executives, but it, it should emanate from your business plan and from what you want to do with AER. Uh Let's say if you want to minimize your losses, you want to go into profits, you might need some people with those skills that can steer the airline in that direction. Uh, If you do not want to go in that direction, then of course, I mean, you will have different HR decisions.
1: That's very helpful and it's important context. And as you were describing um, the issue around HR, what I was thinking about was not only the race to the bottom and lack of incentives, but perverse incentives, right? Because... If you have the ability to go and get stake orders, then there is actually an incentive to not perform within the organization because high performers may actually see that their career trajectory is actually not linked to how well they do because there are everyone else who's not incentivized to be trained. And in fact, one thing that we often don't hear about is the fact that, yes, the organization brings in talent. We can talk about whether they were recruited on political basis or not. But from what I'm hearing from you is that from an HR and skilling perspective, internally, there is not enough skilling and upskilling of talent as as sh- there should be to make sure that the employees perform and then are held up to the highest standards. And that is something that you know we miss in the stories that you may recruit the top talent, but if you're not going to train them over a period of three, four, five, seven years in any organization in today's economy, the the organization is going to fall behind its, com- its competitors and its peers. And and so off that, like, you know, I want to quickly just basically touch upon um, this issue of politicization of the airline and the, the, the allegation that is often made is that uh, particularly for the Pakistan people's party. And i you know, that's what people say is that they've recruited a lot of people based on their political interests. And that's basically the end-all, be-all of the decline of the PIA. Um, a, how strong is this allegation, or should we have more nuance about recruiting in the airline based on political affiliations? And um, if so, like, is that the biggest issue that has led to the airline's decline? Uh,
0: recruitment without a business plan, without uh, sufficient attention to what sort of skill sets you require is uh, an important uh, reason that PIA hasn't performed well. In in 2009 and 10, around that time, for a couple of years, PIA went into uh, positive for operating profit. And there was primarily a windfall uh, gain. Windfall because the fuel prices plummeted at that time because of the global recession. And without doing anything, uh, PIA had just, uh, you know, gained a lo- lo- lot of, you know, room to, to, to you know, uh, take financial decisions. Unfortunately, softwares were not uh, updated. Systems were not updated. Um, investments in aircrafts and other, uh, other uh, assets that lagged. But uh, I think uh, quite a few thousand employees were inducted in a couple of years into the airline. Mostly uh, these were employees who did not bring the skills that a modern airline uh, would require. Now, this could have been, uh, you know, uh, a burden that the airline could have carried with it. So in that sense, where whereas you are using up a lot of, I think, uh, resource company finances for these employees, uh, that is a problem. But I think what, what is even um, starker as an issue is the, uh, is the way the unions do not let airline functions uh, come up to standard. Uh, look at, I mean, some of the uh, things that a passenger would require from an airline these days, flights, high regularity, high punctuality, good services, uh, good behavior uh, in the cabin. And of course, I'm in mean safety. All of these require that these uh, systems should be managed with incentives and sanctions. They should be calibrated to deliver the right, pro- uh, right kind of service with uh, almost, uh, you know, the, the 100% certainty. And uh, where, where the flight has to arrive in a certain time, how the crew has to behave with them, how you know, safety protocols have to be followed. All of this requires discipline. For some reason, uh, in the PIA, there is a very toxic uh, environment where the good employees uh, uh, work under a fair, and the ones who are, uh, you know, uh, who, who do not like uh, follow the SOPs or who violate the discipline, there is hardly much that the system can do about it. Uh, so even if, let's say, you take action. People have recourse to courts or to you know other parts of the government, and you know everyone knows everyone. It seems, and uh, it's like a case where a lot of good men have done a lot of evil to PIA. Uh, so so I mean, I, if if you want to really test the evil that the good men do in Pakistan, PIA is a good example because. When you know, I managed it for about a year, I couldn't believe myself that people who have such a good public image uh, would call you up and ask you to do something which was patently wrong. Uh, so, so, I'll, I'll quickly of, uh,
1: interject here and apologies, but what was one of the craziest interjections that you uh, saw when you were there? And you don't have to take names if you don't want to, but I just want to provide the audience with an example of something that comes top of uh, your mind in terms of you getting a phone call and being asked to do something that you thought was patently absurd? Uh,
0: actually, there are a number of them. So, so one of them was that uh, a member of the board and uh, another very well-known personality of partisan media and uh, you know, other people, they wanted me to promote a physiotherapist to the level of a general manager. And the problem with that promotion would have been that the gentleman had a fake matriculation degree, a fake physiotherapy certificate. I didn't know how he got inducted in in the airline and how had he made up to the level of the deputy general manager. And this was so blatant. And uh, I went through so much of uh, arm twisting on this. There were articles published against me in the newspaper. There were um, you know, other, other things. Uh, the, one of the members of the board, he just you know, made uh, uh, that we have to pay a price for even you know, the regular decisions for which we had to go to the approval for the board, or, uh, to the board. Uh, so, so this is one, but there were others like, I, I think there was a pilot who was uh, uh, grounded for violating uh, safety uh, protocols. And I was hauled up before a parliamentary committee. And uh, although formally nobody said anything to me, but it was made very, very clear to me that I need to let him go, uh, let uh, you know, go of him. Uh, one of the board members once told me that uh, if this pilot is not restored to flying, forget about uh, any financial assistance from the government.
1: Oh.
0: I said to him, I'll take my chances. I'm not going to compromise on safety and discipline and uh so so i mean there are i think even further egregious uh, examples
1: of so those two are those two are uh insane examples because you were the ceo so <clears throat> because and i asked this because when you were talking about good employees working under fear um the fact of the matter from these two examples you gave is the ceo of the company could be held hostage when let's say you're trying to make sure and not compromise on air safety, right? And we'll get to flight 8303 and its crash and its implications in a bit. But you as the CEO made a decision to ground an unsafe pilot, and you were harangued in front of parliament and behind closed doors about your decision and letting this pilot go just because of political influence. And to me, that sounds crazy because one of the things an airline or any organization relies on are, good people making bold choices that further the interests of the organization whether it be around safety or how the cabin treats uh, its customers etc so if the C- the implication for me is that if the ceo can be told promote this person and if you don't there'll be a campaign against you imagine a crew member who's trying to make sure that the pia treats its customers properly and having to complain about someone in the cabin, they're not going to do that and the airline's never going to improve because if the CEO can go through this, then forget about a regular employee trying to make things better at the airline.
0: That's true. So, I mean, if you look at the ASAL letter that has come out a few days back, uh, it basically, I think, uh, points at uh, systems failure. Uh, because safety management in modern aviation is very sophisticated. I mean, the protocols are well known. The only thing that the management, the, 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 the accountable executive, which is a CEO for an airline, they have to ensure is that all the pieces of uh, the system to ensure safety come together, whether that's pilot training or uh, uh, timely and adequate supply of um, components, Uh, whether the repair and maintenance system is working well, where all the protocols are again being followed, whether each time uh, the aircraft leaves uh, uh, for a flight, all the SOPs are followed uh, without fail. Now to ensure those systems, uh, you have to invest a lot in your people and in ensuring that there is a certain consequentiality of the actions. But if you, if you have actors who come into play and do to, to not let that happen, then of course it will become ultimately what happened to BIA. Uh, there were other cases where, uh, you know, there was a lot of pressure to compromise uh, on things, which I thought would affect safety. Uh, and, and we were taking safety seriously because when I joined BIA in September 2017, the SAFA index, had hit, I think, 2.38, which was pretty high. And uh, if it had gone a little higher, uh, EASA, the European Aviation Safety Agency, would have actually barred PIA from flying into Europe. The way can can you
1: quickly explain, please, what the index is and how, it, so how sub, that works? The
0: SAF-Index is, is an index which is uh, maintained by the European Aviation Safety Agency. It is uh, based on random uh, unpredictable inspections that they carry out for different airlines at different airports. And uh, they look at whether safety uh, measures, safety protocols are being adhered or not, or to or not, whether the equipment is uh, properly maintained or not, uh, and whether the crew is uh, following the SOPs in every case without fail. So in the index at that time had climbed up to 2.38, and we started uh, ensuring that Safety, flight safety is, is the central corporate norm for PIA. Uh, so there were two things that we did. One was this. The other was to revive the brand. Uh, we said that PIA stands for performance, innovation, and agility so that it becomes a modern organization. And that led to pressures. Because uh, in within a 12-month time span, the SAFTA index uh, improved from 238 uh, to I think 1.3 by the time I left. And within the same momentum, in the next couple of months, it became 0.5, which was one of the best in PIA's history. When you look at the ASA letter now, it points out that safety management system didn't receive that much attention. And it didn't, it again, perhaps logs the centrality for the airline operations. Uh, so I'm not privy to the details, but it spells out that those were the concerns that EASA raised in, I think, June 2019. And then they were, you know, back and forth between the airline and EASA as it happens. So that they, they because they don't want to punish, they want airlines to improve their safety management. And that's, if, if, if that doesn't happen, then ultimately, of course, they're taking action. So, so for that, I mean, uh, to, to ensure safe flights, to uh, ensure that flights are punctual, the services are good, uh, the uh, the chief executive has to uh, maintain discipline. No airline uh, can function uh, today in a lackadaisical function where you know it's like a bureaucracy where people are not rec- held accountable for their actions, where timely decisions are not made, where the flow of funds is hampered by you know, approvals of other things. So so you know that 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 of course I mean ultimately affects the services.
1: The IASA letter was. Fascinating to me when I read it, because the most important thing that struck out was EASA basically saying that the submissions by the PIA were at times inconsistent and illogical. These are the words of EASA, not mine, uh, which was shocking. And my question first up was that what happened to the person or the personnel who submitted these findings that were inconsistent and logical? I'm guessing not much because of what you said earlier, that if you did fire them, they'll probably go to the courts and get a stay order. Um, But that's just the state of affairs, right, in terms of safety and how things are taken within the organization and this decline of um, the institution as a whole. Um, Before I go to reforms and your views on what should be done with the PIA and what you were trying to do when you were there, um, when you look at the tragic air crash of 8303 and what happened subsequently in terms of the report, interim report coming out and the aviation minister saying, talking about fake pilots, etc., um, as a former CEO and as someone who's been in the industry, um, what did you make of the, uh, of, the, uh, of the events that unfolded after the crash in terms of how the situation since then has been handled? Could it have been done better or was the aviation minister justified in coming out in public and saying, look, we've got this problem and uh, 40% of air, airplane pilots have fake licenses?
0: I think there would be several parts to the answer that I can give to your question. Uh, First and foremost is that the A320 crash is a very tragic incident. And it's unforgivable because I mean, such a safe aircraft uh, with that, it should not have happened. Uh, Now that it took place, uh, I mean, uh, the kind of uh, soul searching and the kind of um, taking responsibility and learning from it, uh, I haven't seen that happening. The uh, AAIB would highlight some technical problems, perhaps, or what happened with that particular flight. But if you look at the the data as a whole, I mean, if you are retrieving the SMS data and others from the aircrafts, we can do a much better job by seeing why systems failure are taking place, like AASA is pointing out. Because uh, to deliver safe flights, you have layers and layers of systems, both on the engineering and uh, flight side, and within management as well. And if uh, that hasn't worked well, you need to understand why that has happened and fix all of them. Not necessarily just focus on the pilots of their flight or that particular aircraft. Uh, If let's say we as a nation want to learn lessons, this is high time we do it. And that is to me is the most important thing uh, so that such an incident doesn't take place ever again in Pakistan. If our ambition is that uh, PIA or for that matter any Pakistani airline should not be accident prone, prone, with modern aviation systems, we can achieve that. It's not an impossible feat it's just that we don't have to live with these semi-functional or dysfunctional systems and keep making excuses about them or all the time shifting responsibility from one to the other so i, I think a grand failure that is unfolding in front of our eyes is that we are not doing that kind of uh, learning of lessons that kind of uh, analysis that kind of soul searching. now within that When you look at the Minister for Aviation's statement, uh, there are, of course, more than one views that, I mean, could it have been handled better? Has it harmed Pakistan? Uh, In my view, uh, flight accidents, crash, that harms Pakistanis and that harms Pakistan's reputation and PI's reputation more than anything else. We cannot scrub it under the carpet all the time. We must face it, that why did it happen again? It should not have happened. And if within that scope, if uh, the minister has uh, you know, highlighted this issue with the pilot licensing, and if he, am, I'm sure, I mean, uh, my, my assumption is that there are uh, data provided to him to back up his claim. Uh, if, if that information were reliable, um, uh, we, we will have to understand why did he make the statement in the parliament? Uh, uh, Was it that he felt constrained that without doing that, he would not be able to take actions? Because uh, like I'm saying to you, how do you take actions against uh, people who flagrantly violate norms and assumptions? And you have uh, good people of Pakistan, sometimes occupying high constitutional offices, who would not feel constrained that this is none of their business to intervene and uh, pressure PIA management to do things the way they would like them to do. But at the same time, like I said to you, that my answer may have several uh, parts to it. Uh, I mean, it's a a complex situation. Uh, It could have been handled better. Uh, There could have been uh, effort and actions done to isolate those cases of uh, licensing where there were problems and uh, address them. There are very good pilots that PIA has, and uh, uh, the airline invests in their training, in their simulator training, Um, the in-flight checks performed by CA, uh, they can be improved. So there are always issues, but I think it is not something that would be solved by a single action. Uh, This is something which would have to be adopted as a norm by the Civil Aviation Authority, as well as the airline. To, to come up to the modern standards. of And we're all union and whatever negotiations between stakeholders have to take place, they will be happening in a different way. But safety and basic performance, uh, they, 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 they cannot be compromised.
1: Yeah, and I I agree with you that there are many layers here that uh, we have to take into account. Um, Just from the outsider's perspective on communication strategy, the fact that the speech was then made and there was silence and there were letters written by the PIE, et cetera, um, that apparently were not uh, responded to as fast as they should have been. And then you had the ports minister, for example, uh, uh, talking about PIE in a press conference and the aviation minister was missing those are all things that raise questions um, about what's going on. I want to switch to, you know, what um, your vision of reform was what, when, when you were at PIA, and how do you see, uh, or what pathways can the airline take to reform itself in the coming uh, months and years? Uh,
0: you know, the way uh, we were trying to reform PIA and earn revenues, minimized and ultimately eliminate losses was a combination of a few things. The foremost among them was strengthen the systems that had uh, lagged in time uh, compared with other airlines. Uh, They were like softwares which were outdated, no more put to use. There were safety standards that we needed to beef up and we were luckily uh, able to do that in many cases. Uh, There were HR systems that needed to be uh, reformed so that was one core component of what we were trying to do. The other was removing uh, the commercial department to chasing revenues. Uh, to my horror, in my initial weeks, I discovered that BIA's uh, financial system, the financial management system was in a mess, and they were not performing basic flight analytics. And those flight analytics were not the basis of commercial decisions or even flight uh, schedules. Uh, and therefore, um, you know, even very senior people in the, in the financial department you know, very gladly informed me that certain flights were making losses, but they were covering the uh, variable cost. Uh, and therefore, they've continued it for years. I mean, the route to New York had been in losses, I think, for more than a decade. And a huge loss. Wow. One, uh, one flight is incurring you a loss of 2 billion rupees. And how can you continue as an airline with that? And I had members in the board who would not understand the basic finances. That, And they would cite examples to me that, well, Emirates sometimes have losses on their flights, but they continue. But they don't understand that when you are building a flight, then you can incur losses. But you, you plan for a break-even period. Beyond that, if you are incurring losses, you would stop that flight and move your aircrafts to another more profitable route. But those kinds of decisions had not been taken. Had not been taken for decades, and therefore, the financial system was not responding to the requirements of the flight economics. Um, they were aircrafts that were flying uh, large aircrafts like a B777 that was flying to a route in Europe or UK. And each flight was in losses because it was a large aircraft, and this was a long haul but low density route for PIA. When we started flying the same aircraft to Saudi Arabia to carry Umrah passengers, it went into profits. So there were those kinds of decisions that we started taking so that the, the pursuit of revenue becomes a central norm next to safety within PIA. The third important step that we started taking was uh, about rebranding. Now here, some people viewed that we have to take a defeatist approach, that PIA brand is you know battered and there's no point reviving it, just fly the flag. Personally, I felt that services, uh, good services, uh, punctual and safe flights, high quality cabin services, would, be, would earn much more uh, prestige for Pakistan than just flying a flag uh, on an airline or an aircraft, which is known for low quality services. So, so uh, rebranding was a major effort to uh, also seek um, younger Pakistanis, younger travelers to Pakistan, switch to PIA back from our companions. Uh, similarly, another thing that we started doing was uh, the. Uh, network optimization, which again is done by softwares in modern airlines, where you see how your um, costly equipment, the aircrafts, can be deployed almost on a day-to-day basis to earn more revenues for you. This hadn't been done in PIA. And therefore, we had great difficulty in doing uh, this without uh, modern softwares. So, So that was another effort. And uh, I, finally, uh, I, my, my vision for PIA was that PIA employees should uh, feel proud of themselves working for PIA, and that can only come if you deliver high quality services. It cannot come from resting on past glory. Uh, it cannot, uh, you know, come from uh, you know just relying on uh, you know unions banding together and you know asking for uh, privileges. Uh, so, so to do that, uh, discipline was a central norm. And uh, I'm very happy that in my tenure, despite many pressures, I didn't compromise on that. And in the short run, it did result in, in, uh, in improvement in services, improvement in revenues. And for some time, that trend then continued even if, when you know, I had left PIA. So I'm very happy about that.
1: No, Those are interesting changes. And again, modern organizations, particularly a technical industry like airlines, right? Needs data analytics to guide its decision-making and its strategic plans. And again, I'll go back to what we were talking about earlier. It has to be strategic long-term in terms of the planes, et cetera, but nimble short-term, right? Because the industry is quite temperamental to shifts in global patterns, energy prices, et cetera. So you have to do a bit of both and it is very much like flying a plane, if I were to say that, because there are a lot of things going on that you have to manage and maneuver around and and, and take care of. So it's interesting to hear the, uh, the issue around branding. And I fully agree with you that, you know, good services, quality services are the best way to earning the reputation, right? A slick marketing campaign or changing the colors on the wings or whatever is only going to get you so far, but it has to be structured or rooted in, shifts operationally. And for any organization, any company, because yes, marketing can get you a three month, four month, six month payout in terms of people having a different point of view, but eventually reality will catch up and marketing dollars will only go so far. They have to. There has to be an underlying reform uh, to be able to capitalize on that investment in marketing dollars or rebranding dollars. Um, based on where the airline and the country today is, Um, where do you reside in the privatization versus reform debate? And I ask this because, you know, every, from my vantage point, every political party, when it's in opposition, um, opposes privatization. The PTI is the most recent example of that. And when they come into power, they talk about reforming the airline, but eventually move over to privatization. But by then it's too late because the other political parties play the other role in fact. Um, And of course the judiciary, in Pakistan, in, in, when it comes to the economy, in my personal view, um, has been disastrous. Whether it is the Pakistan steel mills, whether it's Rico Dick, whether it's the PIA, uh, judicial interventionism has cost Pakistan and its economy dearly. So first, from your vantage point, uh, where do you land in the reform privatization debate? And uh, do you see a bright future ahead, um, whether it is reform or privatization for the airline or Uh, Are the influences too strong both within and outside the PIA to have any meaningful change?
0: So (laughs) to answer your question, let me first share uh, one of my epiphanies with you. So initially when I uh, started managing the airline, um, I couldn't, you know, just a couple of weeks later, I realized that this is uh, such a strange equilibrium that every few months the airline goes and asks the government for a bailout, which is like 10 billion, 15 billion, 20 billion rupees, not small amounts. Then it comes back and delivers abysmal services to everyone in Pakistan. Everyone who matters actually also in Pakistan. They fly on the same aircrafts, suffer the same ignominy of services, but nothing happens. How could this this have been such a stable equilibrium for a decade, for two decades, for such a long period of time? And that's to do with the political economy of who benefits uh from the way that things are managed whether that's a person on the board or in the government or outside the government whether that's an airline employee uh, colluding with the let's say the um uh, with the ticket in the ticket sales business or anything else uh, now, when you look at such a uh, such a complex problem, uh, I think the governments uh, decide for privatization as a solution because they, they understand that they cannot manage this problem; they cannot put it right. Uh, when I came in my interview, I asked one question only from the, the from the interview committee: that Do you want to privatize? Because if you want to privatize, I would not be interested in joining because uh, I thought that the, my skills, my training would be best deployed where I could uh, improve reform and make a complex Pakistani system into a competitive uh, organization. And if that were the challenge, I would take it up, otherwise, I would not be interested. So I'm stating that to tell me, state my bias that I was pro reform and I am pro reform. Uh, one reason is that, for, like I said, for each of the two options, whether you privatize or you reform, there are some preconditions. I think that the political costs of uh, privatization are much higher. And the prerequisites for a successful privatized aviation industry within Pakistani, Pakistani airspace are very low. Look at, look at the current problems. How many of them are arising from the Civil Aviation Authority, which is a regulator? If you you have a regulator, which is so weak, which is so compromised in its basic function, how can it ensure a competitive uh, aviation industry in Pakistan? Which Sorry (laughs) to
1: interrupt again, uh, even outside of the industry, right? That is the problem, whether it's sugar, whether it's energy sector, whether it is wheat, whether it is, you name your industry, cement, petroleum, we've seen uh, if the regulator is weak, it doesn't matter whether the sector is private or not, it's going to have the same issues.
0: Yeah. So, so, for, uh, uh, so, so for, for that reason, I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, not a, it's not a great solution because the prerequisites are not there. But the other problem, which is, I think, a structural problem is that uh, within Pakistan, Pakistan is not North, is North, North America. It's a smaller country. And uh, in terms of the, the, the aviation, uh, size of aviation that we have right now is also small. So it would at best be an oligopoly. So you can't have perfect market conditions to to have a privatized uh, aviation industry thrive in Pakistan. So those are the problems or constraints on that side. On reform, there are a number of prerequisites. And they are, I think, equally difficult. For example, would the partisan politics um, just take a step back and let a line work? in its own domain, would the backseat pilots, backseat uh, uh, pilots of uh, PIA who have nothing to do with PIA, would they stop into meddling in, in the airline affairs? Could the government create a special mechanism for procurements, for supply chain management, for HR, and let it not be a bureaucracy, but be an airline? Can the government have the courage to take that decision? Even important, uh, what about other, uh, other players, like the legal system? Would the legal system take a step back and try to focus on its own job, which is a mess in any case in Pakistan, and stop meddling in affairs where it has very little understanding and very little inclination to have a longer-term engagement in any case with that kind of work? Now, those are also, I think, very difficult conditions to do with. So it's it's a choice between the two, uh, for any government. that how do you how do how do you ultimately deliver safe, high quality, affordable flights to to people in Pakistan and people going, uh, uh, you know, to other destinations from Pakistan and coming back. So it has to be involved uh, answer. You will have to see which is an easier thing that the government chooses to deliver. My worry is that in both options, what you see is that they they go for half-hearted solutions. If they privatize, they privatize without robust regulation. If they manage, they manage with just superficial reforms. And that's not going to work in either case. So so it has to be a complete solution. Uh, My tilt would be in favor of a public managed airline. Uh, it could be another airline. It could be, uh, you know, uh, an airline which makes a clean break with the past so that the financial, uh, so the company's balance sheet is cleaned up. Uh, the difficulties with HR are solved. And management, management systems could be, you know, what, what would uh, take it into, a, into profits and maintain it into, uh, into a profitable existence.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, I fully agree with you that it can't be half-hearted either way. And in many ways, um, going back to your point about political economy, right, PIA is the uh, exhibit A of what can go wrong uh, with the political economy that Pakistan has. And in my view, at least, is that whatever decision is made, if it's not half-hearted and PIA is indeed reformed, it will... Signal a shift not just for PIA and Pakistan's aviation sector, but Pakistan's larger economy as a whole, because these problems uh, that are plaguing the PIA are in fact plaguing the entire or many sectors of the economy across the board. So if the government or the partisan politicians and the backseat pilots, which are there in other sectors, um, decide to sit back and let things uh, go in a one direction reform or privatization, and do the things that are necessary to enable that reform, um, then you will see the butterfly effect in other sectors as well, because it is a template that will work either way. Um, but will that happen right now? I, I don't think so. I mean, uh, you shared your epiphany. Uh, I'll share my epiphany from last week was that I think there was a Supreme court order or uh, after some hearings around issues for COVID and budgets, et cetera, and the chief justice penned it. And he said that it seems to him, and these are the words of the document, um, that there is no development budget in SIN, um, which is blatantly false. Like Sindh has about a 232 billion rupee development budget. And so if the chief justice is uninformed about that, um, I only, uh, I don't have the best of thoughts in terms of how informed he would be on technical issues that he may uh, decide he takes Suomoto notice on. So that's, that's my pet peeve or my rant about what happens in the legal system in Pakistan. Um, if you were, I know you're against privatization, but let's say the privatization were to happen or even just to our listeners, um, if, if they were a potential buyer uh, in a situation where reforms are happening um, and they may want to own some stocks in this, uh, in this new airline in PIA. um, From your point of view as a former CEO, uh, what would you make, uh, what pitch would you make to them in terms of what value, if any, does PIA have to offer as a company that is on the path of reform in this hypothetical scenario?
0: In such a very hypothetical scenario, (laughs) I I, I think what uh, would uh, attract an investor would be the potential to earn profits in a thriving uh, uh, Aviation industry in Pakistan. There's a large market. It's growing at a good pace. I think 9% per annum Uh, Pakistan is uh, I think very well located to offer a hub for uh, flights between um, China which is uh, soon going to be the largest economy in the world and Africa on the other side Then you have Europe and Far East and Australia on the other so like uh, the Gulf carriers, we could be a competitor provide we can, provided we can have uh, a, a robust systems and uh, an airline that is uh, chasing profits, uh, not chasing political vendettas and toxic, uh, other kinds of toxicity within the organization. So, so if that were to happen, then I think it would be, uh, it would be a bankable proposal.
1: So I think, yeah, the ingredients are there, right? It's more about willingness and giving space to whoever is managing the organization to proceed with a strategic revamp of the organization. Would that be a fair assessment that that space, without that space, none of that is going to happen?
0: That, that's correct, yeah.
1: Yeah. So I'm mindful of our time and just one last question before I, I let you go. And this has been a great and fascinating discussion. If if you were as former CEO, um, Prime Minister Khan were to invite you in and say, you know, tell me, you know, what is it that I need to pay attention to and do in the next couple of years that are left of this government or the next three years? Um, what would be your advice to him in terms of how to navigate Um, the complexity surrounding the PIEA, both internally and externally?
0: So so I think to uh, each person in government, you would uh, need to say things which they need to to do. So I wouldn't invite the prime minister to look at the details of uh, my operations, because that would be my business. There are a few things that the PM needs to fix. One of them is the the debt liability. And that, I think, uh, the Prime Minister at that time uh, actually understood what that meant because that hampers the company's cash flow and doesn't allow it to do its uh, operations in an efficient manner. So we were able to reach an agreement with the government where the debt servicing was taken off from PIA's responsibility and the Ministry of Finance would have dealt with it Directly, I think that agreement is still in place. So, that is something that is to take forward so that uh, you um, kind of move toward cleaning up the balance sheet of the company so that it can uh, start investing in its systems, in its supply chain, and, and ensure an operation that has the potential to earn higher revenue. So, that's one thing. The second thing I would ask him would be to revamp the board. Because, like many other state-owned enterprises, boards are, carefully, uh, you cannot have a board where people are uh, acting as, uh, um, you know, fixers for outside agents, where they want to undermine the management, uh, when they want to ensure discipline and take good decisions, where they want to shield corrupt officials with non-corrupt past, uh, Because in that kind of an environment, uh, it just is another millstone that the management has to carry with it while trying to fix the organization. And uh, uh, I think it's just a, a very serious thing that a government which has uh, almost uh, unlimited discussion in appointing the members of the board cannot do a good job of appointing good members to the board i mean can you not find 11 people 10 people all over pakistan who would be dedicated to the airline or, or to whatever organization they are being appointed so that's the second thing that i think uh, i would ask and the third thing i would ask would be to provide a legal solution where some of the systems which convert pia or which render pia as a bureaucracy like the procurement systems and others, uh, they, they need to be changed. You, you need to have special provisions uh, for BIA so that it can be an agile organization and can respond to the, the actions that the competitors are taking in time. Uh, you know, Pakistan has tried, uh, I think, tax holidays and others to you know, sometimes allow businesses thrive. I would suggest that you needed to have a legal holiday also for 10 years. Uh, keep some of these things outside the jurisdiction of the legal system uh, so that they can uh, work like other organizations would work in the world. And there could be some positive spirit and energy rather than you know, the race to the bottom where, you know, all the people bandy together to basically create a failure of every attempt.
1: Those are great points. And I particularly agree with you on the legal side, because I think that in and of itself, even when you look at bringing an international investment to a country like Pakistan, you cannot have that when there is the sword dangling over everyone's head about what the judiciary may decide over contracts, sovereign or otherwise signed uh, within Pakistan, like Rico Dick is, is a case in point, And we've covered that as a topic. Um, but thank you so much for your time. This was a fascinating discussion diving deep into the PIA and what the issues are and how we may be able to see some sort of reform uh, ongoing. So I really appreciate you taking out the time uh, for for taking us through the issues plaguing the airline.
0: Well, thank you very much. Uh, Thanks for uh, having me with you and talk about this subject which is very close to my heart.
1: To everyone else tuning in, thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Pakistan As always, please do subscribe to us on YouTube and Facebook. Um, and uh, we'll be back next week with another interesting conversation. Until then, uh, have a good rest of your week.